the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Happy Tuesday and welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor of Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Uh, We hope you're enjoying, we hope you're inside on this crazy cold day where it's just going to get colder. Uh, But we hope over the next two hours we're able to provide you with some fun and some warmth. Uh, Over the past week, if you've been listening, you know that I've had various uh, co-hosts in here. Done a couple shows by myself, all because my regular co-host Ian Simpkins... Uh, and his wife have been enjoying and celebrating the birth of their second child. Uh, but I am happy to tell you that the man is back today. So Ian Simpkins, <laughs> Ian I'm back. is back. I'm he back and back. highly, highly caffeinated. <laughs> highly caffeinated. Uh, do you even know what time it is right now? The world is just spinning. I, I'm not totally convinced I'm even here right now. That's, <laughs> it's, it's gotten existential for me, for sure. You're, you're going to go talk to your wife and be like, did I do a show today? Did that <laughs> right. happen today? Right. And she's like, I don't even know who you are. I, I don't. I gotta it's, be, it's bad. I got to be honest. All, all week, we've all been excited for you to come back. A, because we miss you, but B, oh. because we're like, what is he going to be like sleep deprived? <laughs> I, Ian's already a little unhinged. <laughs> what, what is he going to be like sleep deprived? So... Uh, we're excited to have Ian back, as we said. Uh, well, Ian, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us? Um, you know, uh, tell us how things are going. Name of kid again. How the family's doing? You already told me you had some uh, non kid craziness over the last couple days. <laughs> I like just sitting back and hearing about your craziness. It makes my life feel more normal. So, oh, all right, how yeah. Are, if, how are if, things going? If I can help you feel more normal, I'm happy. I'm happy to serve that function. That is the point of this show right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so, uh, my wife's water broke in, in, uh, that was about five weeks early, just like with our first son, which is always a little, uh, terrifying, you know, we don't really know what we're doing. So ran to the hospital and, um, the, this labor was, was so much easier than the last, which was, I mean, it wasn't easy. It was still, you know, grueling. And, uh, my wife is such a rock star. Like it's, it's amazing to see her just go through this whole process, but it wasn't nearly as, as brutal uh, as last time, and because he was five weeks early, um, you know, he still had to go to the NICU for a little bit, but like he was released in like a day, which was such a gift because I don't know if anyone's ever like seen their baby in a, in a, in a NICU box with mm-hmm. like a feeding tube and an IV, like not to be melodramatic. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, you would just walk by all these rooms and I'm just like praying for each of these little babies. And, you know, as a pastor, we've, you know, we've been in the situations, but that was such a gift for them to be like, he's doing great. Mm. <laughs> so you guys can go home. So that was, that was amazing. Um, but it also was, you know, it was a pretty brutal snowy, icy. So that, you know, like leaving the hospital for the first time, 
Like I remember like yelling the last time we left the hospital. I was like, why is everyone driving so insane? And my <laughs> wife was like, everyone's driving the same. You're just panicked. Like it's amazing how much different you see the world yes. when you have a little tiny seven pound baby in your backseat. Um, so that was great. And, uh, you know, his, uh, his grandma was, was staying with, with Owen, our eldest. So that was awesome. He's been a little under the weather. So that was kind of tough because he hugged and, you know, uh, you know, of course, we got to kind of curb that a little bit. So, um, brought him home. Uh, his name is Redmond, which is the name of uh, Katie's great grandpa, Redmond Eldon. And Eldon is the name of my great grandpa. And uh, we actually just learned a couple years ago that his name was an Elton because <laughs> uh, after he was born, his church burned to the ground, and so uh, his his parents were uh, were illiterate, so they you know would just call him Elton. And we just discovered that his name actually was Eldon. So. Uh, so his name's sort of a, uh, an honoring both of our families. We're still looking for nicknames, by the way. Um, Red's an obvious choice, yep. but uh, if anyone has any nickname ideas for Redmond Simpkins, we we are we are open. We are open to suggestions. But then that next day after we got home, you know, someone s- smashed into my car <laughs> that was parked did. in front of the house. Of course you know? they did. Got <laughs> got this note and it was like, "Hey, I smashed your car. Sorry." Turns out the guy lives like two houses down, so so that's gonna be that's gonna be awkward. <laughs> but then we had the big you know the big snow thing uh, yesterday, and I'm like I'm shoveling and sleep deprived, and then I broke my shovel, and you know I, I'm just I'm the crazy Griswold on the block right now, just like like barely holding on. It's so uh, funny, but I, I, honestly, and I love all of it though. It's yes. so strange that like amidst everything I just told you, like I wouldn't trade any of it. Yeah. Like, I just love, I love my little family. I feel so blessed to just, to, you know, watch these two brothers. Like, I'm really close with my brother. So, like, just, I get emotional thinking about, man, they might stand up in each other's weddings. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to get into, like, trouble together. They're going to have each other's back when their first breakups. Like, I'm, I'm already 16, 20 years down the you're, road. You're projecting here. <laughs> I kind of am. Yeah, I kind of am. But I'm really, yeah, we're just, we're just really loving it. That's awesome, man. I, I remember when we had our second child, like, it's a whole new ball game, right? You go from, like, Two parents and one kid, and now you got the right. second one, and you're like, oh, but I still got to parent the first one. And you go uh, from zone to man to man, right? That's what. <laughs> yes, that is that is true. And then then we had our third, and then it's just you know it, all bets are off. And then everybody tells you, oh, having the fourth, it's not even hard. And like it, it, thir- two to three is the hard one. And I was always like, I am not going to test that theory. <laughs> I am going to. Do you ever hear the, the Jim Gaffigan bit where he goes, uh, if you've ever wondered what it's like to have a fifth baby, just imagine you're drowning. And someone hands you a baby. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> That's really funny. That is good. Hey, I came across an article uh, on CNBC just with you in mind. Are you ready for it? I can't wait. Is it about coffee? Uh, no, it's about how much kids cost over their <laughs> lifetime. So Outstanding. So they go through. I won't bore you with the whole article, but here's the end of the article. It says, okay. in short, if you're middle income, having spending patterns that are similar to your fellow parents – have two children, which is the average in our country, between two and three, okay. and pay their way through an in-state public school while also continuing to pay for their living expenses, and you cut them off at their 18th birthday, uh, y- you will spend around $467,000. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's true? Yes. And in fact, <laughs> in fact, they also have another story in here of one mom she tra- they, they had a baby, and she tracked every penny uh, that they spent on their child in the first 
18 months. So the wow. first year and a half. Wow. I'm, I'm going to drive you to the, uh, to the coffee here. <laughs> I'm going to drive you to the coffee. So they tracked every penny over the first 18 months. Okay. And this mom found that they had spent $20,000. No, sir. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. I got to put something in that coffee now. Jeez, Louise. You know that's insane. Do you know what's bad? It's like feels like when they're the baby, that's when they're the cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I thought, actually. Yeah, it's that just true. seems... I mean, based on what we're going through with diapers and blankets and laundry, and it's all this other stuff, too, though. It's not just like the necessities. Like, everyone... It's crazy how much pressure there is to have the, like, not just a swing, but the right swing and not yes. just a crib, but the right crib. Like, there is really, it's kind of like we've talked about before with, with weddings, right? You can't just have regular old plates. You have to have wedding plates. And I'm like, gosh, where, where, where does it end? And the problem is, at least for me, I'll do it. Like, I look at this little, this little tiny human. I'm like, I want to give you the world. I'll go bankrupt. Whatever you like that, my heart. Just, I'm sure, I'm sure that like gets old once they start talking back. No, it doesn't. I have a 15 year old daughter who's, who is, uh, you know, my three kids are the love of my lives. They're, they're my joy. And now she's asking for things that are much more expensive. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) take it all. Just take my checkbook. (laughs) Well, Ian, we're glad to have you back. And back, uh, glad that everything is going well. Again, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the cold. It's cold outside. Uh, we've got some fun stories with that and also some helpful hints uh, for how to brave the cold. Again, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined again, his triumphant return, by Ian Simpkins. <laughs> that, that feels a little far-reaching. Nope. Uh, you're coming in with a sword, just high, riding a Uh-oh. horse on oh it, and here you gosh. are. Uh, you can follow Ian and I in uh, the show on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Also online at 1160hope.com. Uh, you can get us. Uh, you can follow our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as we've been saying uh, if you are listening to us on the podcast, please leave a review, preferably a good one, and uh, <laughs> that helps us in many ways. In some of the ways, it just helps us make makes us feel better. And so, it's true. It's find true. the podcast <laughs> wherever you get them. Subscribe, and that way, you know, even if you're not in your car, able to listen, you can listen at your own leisure. Uh, well, Ian, guess what? It's cold outside. You probably haven't been outside in a while. Just haven't had a baby, but uh, it is stinking freezing outside. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's insanity. It's crazy too because all of the stores, it seems like everyone's preparing for the end of the world. Like whole shelves are empty, people are like stocking up on distilled water and like everyone seems just a little bit nuts. Like <laughs> yeah, the world is ending. I must get canned goods. Like it's just cold. No. <laughs> right, right. It's like Y2K all over again. And you and I were just talking off air that uh that there are some reports some places that you see that this is Maybe the, if not one of the coldest days tomorrow on yep. Wednesday coming, uh, possibly in recorded uh, Chicago history. Am I, yep. I, I might be out over my skis on that one, but the point is it's going to be really cold. <laughs> I mean, if this isn't already really cold, like yeah. I keep, that's the thing. Like when I'm inside, I get weirdly confident. I'm like, it can't be that cold. And I step outside, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, never mind, never mind. Way colder than I thought. Oh, that's really funny. And the weird thing is, I don't know if you saw the weather for the weekend. We've now turned into a show that just talks about the weather. I'm excited about this. 
Uh, the weather next week, uh, this coming weekend, is supposed to be 45 degrees. That's, I saw that. Which means when you factor in the wind chill, it could be upwards of an 80 to 100 degree swing, and it's still only going to get to 45 degrees. That's crazy. That can't be good for our bodies. No. No, or or like you said, our houses or whatever else. Well, there was a story that was just this morning. Uh, a body cam captures the Chicago Police Department rescuing a man in Lake Michigan. Uh, the man uh, saying he thought someone was in the, the the witness said they thought someone was in the water. The man went in to rescue uh, his dog, uh, but it was more tricky for him to get out. He was standing chest high in the water and he was numb. He oh. couldn't hold anything. He couldn't climb out. Gosh. And it has a happy ending. Uh, the 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 police department was able to save him. And when I read this story, I'm like, man, my first thought was, man, you are foolish. Why would you go in? And then I saw that he went in to get his dog. I think I'd do it. I think I'd go. Um, but thankfully, that man is safe. See, and I, I grew up with cats, and <laughs> cats wouldn't let you go after them. No, They're they like would. that pretentious. They're like, just let me die. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but a dog, though, man's best friend. I think I'm with you. I think I might do it, too. Now, we're talking a big game from the comfort of, like, a heated space yes, right now. Yes, I think I would do <laughs> it. Depends, right? I love I my dog. That's funny, the cat. They would just wave you back. No, nope. <laughs> Like, it's my time. Just <laughs> see you later. You get close to me. Dives back under. <laughs> right. right. Just to mess with you. Oh, and then we heard another story. Uh, and that is uh, that the Brookfield Zoo, I believe, tomorrow is going to be closed for the first time in decades. Like the Brookfield Zoo rarely, if ever, closes. Uh, but uh, if I read correctly, they're going to be closing because of the cold. And wow. uh, my first thought was, of course, they are. Who would go to the zoo? But I guess there's lots of indoor stuff, the monkey house, the dolphin house. And you could avoid the crowds, I guess, if they hadn't closed. Uh, but it just speaks to how crazy cold it's going to be outside. You're really familiar with this zoo. I didn't realize how uh, how like up to date you were with the different oh, zoo exhibits. You do not even know because <laughs> clearly don't. Here, here's the deal: we don't do it anymore. Uh, but for the first couple years, uh, for the, when my children were young, you should get in on this, man. Uh, <laughs> is that uh, we for Christmas we would ask my parents for a membership to the zoo. Okay, And so it is the best membership, in my opinion. You can tell me I'm wrong on Facebook if anybody wants to respond to this. <laughs> because when your kids are little, you can go there and you don't pay anything, not even for parking. And what? so you feel no guilt about, you know, like if you pay to go to the zoo, you, tell, you like yell at your kid, we're going to look at everything no oh, matter I'm, what. I'm going to be that dad. Totally. I once <laughs> took my daughter there my youngest and said, what do you want to do? And she wanted to go to the face painting. She got her face painted. We ran, we ran, uh, we got on the merry-go-round and then we left. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> uh, so I, I could walk you to every single exhibit in the zoo, tell you where the good ones are, map you out. Like, uh, even though I haven't been there in a couple of years, real funny Brookfield zoo story, a uh, little off the subject. Also, when my daughter was younger, I said to her, it was just me and her. She was like four, maybe three or four. And I said to her, sweetie, what would you like to go see first? And she looked at me. She said, Daddy, I want to go see the unicorns. <laughs> what What had you been telling her? Oh, do you want to know what I told her? <laughs> oh, no. I said, the unicorn exhibit is closed today, sweetie. Where of else would you like you to did. go? <laughs> of course you did. Uh, that's going to be... That's going to be therapy at some point. I wasn't going to break her heart. I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of the cold, you had uh, you came across and you already referenced a little bit some good tips. Yeah, uh, that especially people like us who haven't, you know, we're not the old grizzled homeowners who know everything to do. Right. Uh, I love talking to those guys who are like, well, did you do this? And I'm like, no. Did you no, do this? Of course not. No, I never even thought of that. Did you change your filter? Not in like a year and a half. But, right, right. <laughs> uh, 
you know, either the whole list or what were some of the highlights, some of the things you came up that maybe we could service our people right now and say, hey, in the cold, think about these couple things if you're a homeowner. Yeah, so my, my buddy Ryan Guerra, who is brilliant in too many areas, he's the kind of smart that it's like frustrating. You're like, okay, what's he not good at? But he, he posted on Facebook yesterday, and being a, a new homeowner who's a little panicked, to be honest, about all of this, like I hadn't done half of these. So I thought these were really good. I'll, I'll run through them because it's got some good suggestions. Um, this is not going to be super riveting, but it's just really, really helpful. So uh, the first one, he says, um, raise the temperature in your home Monday and Tuesday, two to four degrees above your normal setting. Get the core of your house warmer because it's going to drop no matter what. So like the idea of like raising yeah. the internal temperature, I didn't even, didn't even think about that. Take off all programmable thermostats. Make sure that it holds at that new temperature. If you have a furnace, replace the filter. Keep garage doors closed. Mm-hmm. Limit opening exterior doors. Make sure air vents and radiators are not blocked. Um, and then for the pipes thing, there's a couple of things that maybe people weren't aware of. Um, the faucet furthest away from your water meter, leave on a slow trickle to avoid pressure buildup within those pipes. Open the cabinet doors underneath them to allow the warm air into the pipes. Um, if you have a Whirlpool bathtub... Um, with don't a tile, we all? <laughs> right. Who doesn't? I certainly don't. Uh, with a tile deck built around it, locate the access panel and leave it open for the next few days. Locate your main water shutoff valve in your basement. If you do experience a, a burst water pipe, it will be extremely important to be able to turn the water off quickly. So, like... Just just little tips in preparation for like obviously our our hope and prayers that none of this happens right. but like just little step like I I my brother in law suggested um, like outside spigot covers faucet covers I didn't even know those existed they're <laughs> like two dollars at Meyer and the little styrofoam covers I'd never done that in my life yep. so I was like oh okay. So just little things Those to kind of prepare for it, yeah. These are the things you do when you have a second child because now you <laughs> now it's like we're a family now we got to do all these things. Uh, but most of all, people out there, uh, friends out there, we hope that you stay warm. And it is a it is a dangerous one coming. So yeah. certainly take it seriously. It's starting tonight, Tuesday night, and into tomorrow, and even into Thursday. Uh, pretty uh, my kid's school hasn't been called off, but I'm pretty pretty confident they're going to be off of school tomorrow. A lot to be off, and uh, yeah, just stay safe uh, and uh, stay warm. Well, and, I, and I, I, I posted on Facebook yesterday, too. I said, this is, this is for anybody who had someone tell them something like, uh, I'll go out with you when hell freezes over. Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday might be your chance. <laughs> Wednesday's your day to get them. This em. might be your window. <laughs> Wednesday's your day to get them. Uh, well, anyway, I'm Brian Fromm, uh, joined again by Ian Simpkins today on The Common Good on AM 1160. You can follow us at The Common Good Radio Show at Facebook.com on The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, uh, we are going to... Uh, change directions here and we're going to talk about this concept of is it ever angry or righteous to be angry at god is it ever okay to have anger at god that's coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life welcome back to the common good on am 1160 my name is brian Fromm. i am joined again today by ian simpkins Ian, I know you missed our musical uh, in- intros. I know you missed them. <laughs> I just pictured you dancing. That's yep. the that's the, that's how it's been. That's creepy. You've missed me. I know, but it's true. Uh, we had Mark Job on yesterday, and he said he came on one point un, uh, without me prompting me. He said, "I really enjoy the music." I said, "Mark, because we're the same age, man. It's bringing us back to high <laughs> oh, school and college. So, <laughs> so it's bringing us back." So again, if you want to follow us, Facebook.com. You can get us there at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. And you can also find Ian and I personally on Facebook, Ian Simpkins or Brian Fromm, and you can find us 
uh, on Facebook there as well. Also, 1160hope.com is the website. You can listen to old shows or you can find the podcast wherever uh, it is that you download your podcasts. Uh, you'll find us there. It's We're, crazy to think that we already have old shows. Isn't it great? I mean, it's not. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like, dip into the archives. If you want to listen to the one that we did a whole week and a half ago. <laughs> oh, we were so young. Remember, remember when Ian only had one child and we did that show? <laughs> back, back in the day. <laughs> back then, it was like 40 degrees outside. And, yeah, That's it was funny. all good. Well, Ian, uh, came across a story in Christianity Today uh, written by uh, a woman, and she, she writes this. Okay, it starts like this. The title is, Can Anger at God Be Righteous? It's this concept of being angry at God. Uh, So she writes, After I was diagnosed with cancer five years ago, I returned to the book of Psalms anew. I started to pray with Psalms that I had merely read or had skipped altogether. While I was receiving intense chemo, a seminary student told me he was praying Psalm 102 for me, that Mm -hmm. in my distress I groan aloud aloud, uh, and I am reduced to skin and bones. My heart skipped a beat. As I read on, I found that the psalm contained a complaint and a petition that I felt deeply but did not know how to express. And then I'm Mm going to jump ahead and writes, uh, In this experience, I came face to face with an inconsistency built into my evangelical upbringing. We were Bible-centered church, memorizing and singing verses from the psalms along with our other more contemporary songs of praise. Yet, as I began to notice in high school, we picked a narrow band of sentiments. Praise and thanksgiving, yes. Sadness turned to joy, yes. Mm. Confession to God, yes. Uh, But what I did not have, what I was not able to do, is what the psalms often did, protest and express to God anger and fear. Wow. What are your thoughts as you hear that? I think, gosh, that's rich with so many different things. I I do think um, this is uniquely Western in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Our our issue with lament and anger and frustration. Um, not that I think the rest of the world is is perfect at it, but I do think here we struggle, uh, particularly in evangelical circles, to uh, articulate to even give space for anger and frustration. I, you know, you look at like. Most of our corporate worship songs are, they're all, you know, they're way up here. They're all, it's happy, it's joy, which is certainly helpful, right? If, you, right? if you've been busted up all week and you like, you barely muster the energy to, you know, to attend a service somewhere, that can be, I, I'm not knocking that at all. I think that's important to sing, like thank, thankfulness to God, uh, rejoicing in his promises. All, all of that's really, really good, but it's only, it's one dimensional, right? That's only one part of the human experience. And I think one of the things that I've been so captivated by is a lot of what this author is talking about is how much of our Bible uh, includes mourning and weeping and anger and frustration, right? We have a whole book called lamentations. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah says things that like we would gasp if a pastor said, he he says stuff like, you know, I wish I'd never been born. Like he just, he just goes for it. A third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Like I think of Psalm 88, um, Theologians sometimes refer to this as the the saddest chapter in the entire Bible. The only the only glimpse of hope is at the very beginning of Psalm eighty eight. Says, "O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you." So the only hope is this writer. <coughs> excuse me. This writer is recognizing God as the God of salvation because the whole rest of it is just sadness. Yeah. It's frustration and anger. And I think why why aren't we writing songs that reflect that part of the human experience to give space for people? to to be 
to sit in their grief or their anger or their confusion a little bit because we it's like this thing that we all experience but we never want to talk about. Yeah, and it's um it's just disingenuous too because uh, to pretend that life is, we are able to wrap life up in a nice tidy bow, and that right. everything can turn to happiness and joy, um, is dangerous. Because we know that our churches are filled, or, or we feel uh, yeah. that when we don't feel that way, we then begin to think, "What's wrong with me? Like, why don't? Why am I angry at God?" I often try to tell people, like. You know, I, I would hope that your God is big enough. The one that you proclaim to worship and trust is big enough for your hurt and your frustration and your anger and your questions. Right, uh, right. And that that's a healthy thing. Yes. I also think it's important to note, too, that, like, not only can God handle it like he's putting up with our anger, but yeah. I think that is, in some ways, I'm not sure I want to say it this way, a vehicle by which we grow. Like, yeah. I think of the people I'm closest with in my own relationships— um, if we were able to survive a fight or a disagreement or some season of difficulty, that relationship has, there's a certain depth that's carved out because of that. Yes. I, I don't think it's just God like, all right, I'll tolerate your anger for a little bit, but then you better fall back in line. I think, <laughs> yes. no, if we look at this through the lens of like, of intimacy, of, of growing in closeness, like that makes sense to me that, okay, yeah, ang- anger is a part of that. And I think you hit it on the head that sometimes we either think, God can't handle it or, oh, my goodness, we, we shouldn't. Like, it's improper. And, I, again, I'm, this is maybe overreaching. When I'm with my family, fam, like my the people that know me best, we're thinking uh, very little about, oh, is this proper or not? So like, no, I'm, I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm upset. I'm yes. happy. Like, there's an honesty and a, and a raw – there's there's just a, a transparency there that I think sometimes – we're, we expect our people to sort of like just subdue those feelings right. as if they're not – those aren't Christian feelings. These joyful ones, th- those are the Christian feelings. Focus on those. Yeah, and, and what's I, – I think you touched on something important. I think this is also one of the biggest problems that I see in Christian marriages, hmm. uh, that they, people feel like I'm not supposed to fight. We're not supposed to be angry with each other. And right. a lot of people – I don't know, at least people that I've dealt with through my years in ministry – uh, a lot of their problems are because of 10, 15, 20 years of pushing feelings down. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm not right. allowed to deal with these. I'm not allowed to feel these. And years and decades of small issues have now compounded to uh, almost irreconcilable problems because they never dealt with them and they never learned how to fight and express anger to their spouse. That's And that's a great point, too, because any time that I've done premarital with couples and they'll say, usually um, with a bit of pride, well, we just never fight. And I would say, well, you need to learn how to then yes. because that's not – that's not as good a sign as you think it is, which is the interesting counter to that is don't live in the anger either, whether it's a spouse or with God. I think that's maybe what this author is getting at a little bit. Like, yes, we absolutely need to express it, but to lit, to like set up camp there is maybe not helpful either, though, to say, let, let this anger lead to something different, some healing, some, you know, like that, that to me is the, the important counterbalance is that, yes, we absolutely need to create space to say, God, what is going on? Like, what are you doing? Or how, how could you allow this? Yeah. Also, I'm going to still trust you. That's good. I'm angry right now. And I am maybe even struggling with doubt or fear or confusion. However, even in the midst of that, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to trust you. And this article ends with this. There is a better way, a good medicine to receive that in addition to our confession, thanks and praise, our covenant Lord calls us to bring our hopelessness, anger, fear, and bitterness before him. In his love, the Lord calls us to trust him enough to wrestle with his promises 
In order to grow up into our identity in Christ, we need to join the psalmist in rejoicing, in lamenting, and crying out to the Lord in a myriad of ways. That's kind of what we like to do on this show. We want to help ask those questions and help you um, wrestle with the hard feelings, and we ultimately want to see all of us grow in our commitment and our faith to Jesus. That's right. Well, this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'm Brian Fromm, joined again by my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Coming up, uh, we have a story that kind of touches on where do people, where do we, how do we value people? Where do people get their value? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and Ian is the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box Community Christian Church in Naperville, Illinois. All right, Ian, I got a story. I'm going to read it here in a second, and I, I, uh, I am acknowledging from the beginning, I know you well enough to know this story is going to make you angry. <laughs> that's, that's a great lead-in, man. I'll yep. brace myself. Also, we always mock your state just because we like to, or especially Detroit, we like to get to, well, this one's out of New Jersey, so I'm going <laughs> to, thank the Lord, I'm going to have to own this one a little bit, although I believe it's South Jersey, which, you know, I'm North Jersey, so it's different. Oh, stuff. I didn't even realize there's a difference. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I don't know. Some, Educate me, help some, me. Uh, someday, someday. Okay, thanks. South Jersey, uh, North Jersey, they, they could be two different states, but. Uh, and we we don't like each other, so. <laughs> I didn't, I honestly didn't realize that. So, your New Jersey, think of it this way. All of New Jersey is basically a suburb of a big, another big city. So North right. Jersey, this is somewhat simplistic, but North Jersey is basically an extended suburb of New York City, and South Jersey is basically an extended suburb of Philadelphia. No kidding. Basically, because people working in those cities, especially North Jersey with New York, people working in those cities have kind of, you know, where I lived was essentially, you know, kind of where we are in the western suburbs of Chicago. So anyway, that's not right, the story. Not, <laughs> not the story. Uh, so the title, this is from ABC7 Chicago. The title is Waitress Speaks Out Over Anti-Immigrant Message on, Re- on a Receipt. Oh, boy. Uh, so the story basically goes, let me paint the picture, that, that there's this couple they're eating, uh, and the waitress is kind of waiting on them because the couple only ordered dessert. And while the waitress is waiting, she started talking to one of the busboys, and she spoke to him in Spanish and thanked him because he was helping her clean up because he didn't have to. Uh, And she says it was so weird because the couple had just uh, been really nice to me and loving me as a person when all of a sudden they said, oh, she speaks Spanish. She must be an immigrant. Let's leave. And Mm -hmm. on the receipt, they wrote, uh, we don't tip immigrants. And so the story goes that the waitress said, if they came back, I'll still serve them well. Um, But it kind of gets at kind of this um, this issue of uh, a lot of stuff in here, politics. Uh, identity, uh, value, where yeah. do people's value come from? Right. Um, and so uh, I know this story will make you angry. So what is it at first blush? And then I want to use it as a jumping off point uh, what, to another discussion. Was me just going, ugh, an, <laughs> an indication enough of my, of my opinion of this story? I yeah. will say, first first off, props to this waitress. I don't, I don't know that I would have had the maturity for that kind of response. Like, I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to be kind to them. I'm still going to do my job well. This idea, I mean, the the headline alone, right? The, it just you know, don't tip immigrants. To me, is not. It's more than politics. It's more than economics. It's it's a human dignity issue. Right. And um, for me, it's so easy. You know, we just celebrated MLK Junior Day. Um, 
to look back in history and think that these issues were all just these massive sweeping like legislative issues. And I think what we're learning more and more is that they are, they are, they actually show up much more profoundly in these really like small, seemingly insignificant interactions. It's, it's, right. it's saying don't tip immigrants and the kind of thinking that that leads to that kind of voting that leads to the kind of behavior that leads to, to me is so, is so problematic because I, I think some people may read the story. It's like, ah, it's, it's no big deal. Let them, let them have that opinion. And I would right. say, no, it is a big deal because that, that, that affects all of us or it should affect all of us. This yeah. idea that all humans are created in the image and likeness of a creative loving God, the Imago Dei, right? That, that means, uh, and I think this actually was MLK Jr. that said, but injustice anywhere is threat to, is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm. Like, even though we're not in Jersey, that type of rhetoric, that type of posturing, particularly as Christ followers, needs to not only concern us, it needs to break our heart because yes. it isn't just a, what, are we going to drive to their house and say, hey, stop saying that about immigrants, stop feeling that way. It's like, oh man, there's something deeply ingrained and embedded in your heart that's allowed you to say that and write that without batting an eye. Like, right. you know, Paul often talks about our battle's not really flesh and blood. There's other stuff going on there. And I'm I'm most concerned with like getting beneath the surface. Like, okay, so what what's happening there that makes you feel that way? Yeah. It makes you feel like it's okay to behave that way. Like that to me, it's just, it's frustrating on so many levels. Uh, frustrating is a good word. And I want to use it, as I said, to jump off a little bit. And we like to talk about um, individual Christians and also the church as a whole. Now we live just in a hyper politicized partisan uh, culture. And uh, I remember Kelly Brady was in here last week. And w- one thing we talked about was like increasingly in our culture, people are running to the polls there. And I don't mean the election polls. I mean, like to the ends they're running right. a- and everyone's camping out with only people like them and getting right. angry at people not like them. And that is what this kind of breeds a little bit. Hmm. Uh, and that the re- research is showing is that uh, Christians um, are part of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say better or worse, but a lot of, you know, evangelicalism <laughs> is at least living in that way. Yep. Uh, and that is not biblical. Uh, it is not biblical to view yourself as better than others. I feel like we follow a savior who said, treat others better than yourself. Yeah. No um, kidding. And so speak to how we separate, because I think there's people in the immigration debate. I will totally say i don't understand it very well but i would sure. say people have great arguments on both sides sure and most political issues but speak to how this actually isn't a political issue that we're talking about here but is instead one of dignity and value well i think that's a great question there, there's a number of things going on for me um to to hold a political opinion is certainly your right as an american yep. and we've said that part of our our hope and dream for this show is to engage in the mess and the gray and the tension because that's where most of us live. Um, that we we won't always, you and I won't even always agree on everything. And that's not only like, okay, that's healthy. That's healthy for us to disagree, to actually listen, to understand, not just listen, to respond. Right. Um, but I do have to say there are certain points where we have to have, I think, the spine to say, Okay, this rhetoric, this posturing is actually dehumanizing. Yes, and and there, there, there needs to be a, a boldness. I think, particularly for those who believe that we were made in the image and likeness of God, to say, "Hey, I still love you as a brother if you hold this position, but I do need to call out. I do need to speak truth to power, truth to peer, um, to say, no, no, no. That that actually is 
anti-gospel. That's anti-Jesus. When I look at like the life and lifestyle of Jesus, the glimpses that we have, um, the thought of Jesus writing on the back of a receipt, don't tip immigrants, <laughs> is laughable, right? Exactly. Your response is exactly yeah. what I was looking for. Like that, we wouldn't even, that just seems insane. And I think to me that, that points to a deeper issue where we, for a lot of us, Jesus is a great savior, but not a great role model, right? Like yeah. we're grateful for the resurrection, which, you know, hopefully gets me into heaven when I die. But like, I don't actually want to live like he lived. I don't want to treat people the way that he treated people. Like mm. that to me, in many ways, is the core of the issue that Christianity uh, at its core is not just simply praying a prayer to, you know, get over the chasm that sin separated us from God. So we get, that's part of it, obviously. Um, but to invite the Holy Spirit to say, God, help me to see people the way that you see them. Help me to see, like you say, uh, through a gospel lens. And mm -hmm. and I look at this story and I think that's not a gospel lens at, at all, regardless of how you voted, regardless of how you feel about immigration law or a wall, any, any of that. Like to me, um, anything that is dehumanizing should concern us at a yes. very core level. I think you use the great two-word phrase there, the Imago Dei, that everybody is created in the image of God and therefore has intrinsic value uh, and must be treated that way. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about a hard story about a pastor's suicide and what would lead to that. Uh, coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Joined again by Ian Simpkins, coming back from uh, taking the break after having the birth of their second child. Ian is the <laughs> teaching pastor uh, at Community Christian Church, the Yellow Box in uh, Naperville, Illinois. Ian, you still awake with us here? You still doing okay? I mean, I'm barely awake. The, uh, the coffee IV bag needed to be replaced, um, <laughs> but I'm good. I'm good to go. So one of the things that we uh, want to do on this show is both Ian and I are pastors, but even beyond the pastors, we want to just kind of acknowledge that life can be messy and try to help yeah. people um, navigate that mess. And, and pastors are not immune to that. And in fact, pastors yeah. often feel it more because there is a loneliness factor to being a pastor. There's a There's a pressure that life has to kind of look good in order to keep your job. All of these types yep. of things. And yet, studies show that pastors, I mean, there's mental illness studies about pastors that say that, that the rate is higher than in the regular population, um, or yep. at least the same. And so it is with that in mind, kind of this messiness of life as two pastors, uh, that we thought we would dive in and tackle a difficult story, uh, I believe, out of California. So, uh, Ian, why don't you tell us that story? Yeah, you, you can find this story just by Googling the name Jim Howard, but uh, I'm reading from uh, from CBN News, and the first line just simply says, California megachurch pastor Jim Howard committed suicide last week after a long battle with mental illness. And, and later in the article, um, the story gives some details about when and where, and that Jim uh, struggled with a private battle that he shared some of the details publicly, and it just... We you know we talk about this a lot, man. Stories like this to say it breaks my heart is a massive understatement. Yeah, not not just because this guy was uh, clearly struggling so profoundly, but that he felt that this was the only way out. This was the only way to to end his pain. Like to me, there's so many layers there, and you mentioned it. You touched on it. I think sometimes 
the role of the pastorate, even particularly in like this mega church world, can create this very weird dichotomy, this like parasocial relationship with with your congregation that um, if you're not on stage, if you're not receiving applause or praise, which is how most of us live our lives, it can feel absolutely devastating. Like the, the dopamine endorphin rush of like right. leading at that level can can actually create a really strange counterbalance, which is why we see such struggles, I think, with, with comedians and performers and actors yeah. is they don't know who they are apart from this this role. But it, but it also is just so heartbreaking to me that like this this seems to be just one more case of like the isolated pastor who, as you said, didn't feel the freedom for whatever reason to like fully be known in this sense. And I and I'm not I'm not making a statement in particular about like chemical imbalances and mental. I think all of that is very real, and we need to talk about those things more openly. But at the end of the day, that he he felt that this was his his best his best option right? Um, with everything that he knew with all of his quote unquote ministry success, that this still was in his mind, the best course of action is, uh, is just devastating. It's so heartbreaking to me. And what's so heartbreaking even more is that I think it's just the world we live in where there's more access to information. I'm sure this has always been going on, uh, but I feel like, I don't know, at least monthly, I read a story about a pastor uh, who has taken yeah. his own life and everyone it's always the same article it's they're always shocked by it i mean um what was the one i believe also out of california wasn't it over the summer andrew what was that last name uh stockholm yeah, or something Stoke, like that stokely yeah stokely yeah. uh where he was literally in a series preaching through mental health and the gospel and depression um and then he took his own life in the midst of even preaching through it, which I remember thinking to myself as I read that, that is so heartbreaking. The fact that um, you could be preaching through something, but not feel the ability right. to uh, to say, hey, this is my struggle. I need a break. I need right. to get this worked on. Um, but unfortunately, uh, while we're highlighting the pastors, it is not a pastor thing. I think the church right. in general, um, Christians in general, uh, have an issue acknowledging uh, the whole issue of mental health and that Christians, followers of Jesus, struggle in this way. Yeah, when I I read some some uh, some data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that in the United States uh, the suicide rate has gone up thirty three percent. Oh my goodness! Between nineteen ninety nine and two thousand seventeen, thirty three percent. So this clearly isn't just a pastor thing or a Christian thing. Like it's a it's a human thing. And for me, again, you know, whether it's Andrew or Jim, I don't know that they weren't talking to somebody about it. Great that's point. that's the Great thing point. that like really rattles me. Like I I'm I'm it seems like at least with one of them, they were receiving like regular counseling from a trained uh, trained uh clinician like that. To me, in a lot of these cases, they're doing the thing that I, that I would suggest. And obviously, like I'm not a licensed counselor, so I, that's another thing I think pastors sometimes struggle with is knowing knowing their skill set and and the freedom to say hey this this is above my pay grade let me yeah. refer you to somebody but i could see for some of them they're saying like i'm doing the thing that i was told to do and it doesn't seem to be helping so what else what else am i supposed to do right it isn't this hey memorize these verses right. and uh go to this person once a week and then the pain will go away and so they do that for a week or a month or a year or a decade and they think nope it i none of this seems to be helping so i've just kind of reached my end and i think for me, you know, I think Paul writes it in First Corinthians that if if one member suffers, we all suffer. Yeah. Like that to me has got to that's got to resonate deep in our gut. Like, okay, we together need to 
pave a better way forward if we're if we're going to make any traction in this area. And that that is so hard to do because it's it's still stigmatized in some circles, and there's a lot of shame attached to it that I sh- I shouldn't be thinking or feeling these things. So. You know, you st- I'm Irish, right? So we we stuff those feelings way down. And <laughs> how do we create better conversations around this, especially even for the people who are doing "quote unquote" the right things and still don't feel like they're making any progress? You know? Yeah, I think that just acknowledging it in I don't know I don't know what your church background was, but in my church background uh, and then Christian college and all this, I just don't feel like this was an issue that was ever talked about uh, or yeah. was even allowed to be talked about. And um, maybe that was more me projecting upon like what I thought I could and couldn't do. No one ever outwardly said that to me. Um, right. But but I can imagine that if you struggle with mental health issues and you've got this kind of pressure over your head that says to be a good Christian, you don't struggle with these things. That would only compound right. it more and more. And then to open the door for pastors is to say also, if you acknowledge it, your job might be in jeopardy, uh, your yeah. livelihood um, I just think the church in general and, and Christi- Christians as a whole, evangelical world, just needs to do better at just saying, hey, this is a real thing that is getting worse in our culture. Uh, mm. We've got to be at the forefront of helping people and then opening up to what the good news of the gospel speaks to this. But the good news of the gospel doesn't necessarily take this away. Uh, right, it gives us right. a lens to look at it. Totally. I-, I remember the first time a couple sat me down and they told me why they were leaving our church. Which was a that was a tough conversation to begin with. Yep. But what the what the wife said, I'll I'll never forget. And this this took me a long time to really wrestle through this. She she said, um, "We find you to be just a little too honest about your own struggles." Wow. Yeah. Uh, so and she said these words: "How how can you effectively lead if you yourself are still wrestling?" And I was I was so heartbroken because what I wanted to say, what I should have said, was, "We're all always going to be wrestling." Yeah. Now there's something to be said about. How much do you air your dirty laundry or who do you share this information with that? There's certainly some discernment there, but I mean, they're sitting across the table saying, you're a little too honest about the things that you wrestle with and struggle with. And we think as a leader, that's just really not okay. And that, that took me a long time to kind of wow. unravel wild. that in my head a little bit. Yeah. So friends, w- what we want to uh, urge you is uh, to take things out of the darkness, whether it be sin or, more importantly, in this conversation, just struggles, mental health issues, things you've been thinking about. Find people uh, you can trust, that you can have openness with, and ultimately who can can shepherd you and help you understand the good news of the gospel and, and... to be able to see it through that lens. We, we long to see people diving into the mess of each other's lives yeah. uh, for the sake of health and ultimately uh, for the sake of Jesus. So yep. uh, it's a hard topic, but a really important one uh, if we're going to live out this, uh, this thing we call Christianity. Well, yep. this is The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, when we come back, coming up, we're going to talk about a new pill that is out there uh, that is hopefully going to promise uh, to deal with loneliness. Do we believe this is even possible? That's coming up next on The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, We're excited to be here on this cold day, hopefully giving you a little bit of warmth. Uh, Oh, that was pretty good, wasn't it? You should write that down. A little bit of warmth. That feels like a tagline (laughs) somewhere. Giving you you were warmth. inspired by the music, I think. Yes, giving you warmth on a cold Chicago day. And, yeah, I don't uh, like it anymore. I'm nope, over it. Nope. So that voice you hear is Ian Simpkins. Uh, and Ian is back from 
Well, not back. You're still raising your second child. You're still enjoying <laughs> having a second child. Uh, but back on the radio, so we're excited to have you back, man. Uh, fully caffeinated, right? Just pouring coffee straight into the veins with an IV drip. Yeah, fully doesn't even begin to describe. I'm just <laughs> living in a in a pool of caffeine at this point. Oh, so uh, before uh, the break, what we talked about was a hard subject. We talked about um, pastor suicide and mental health within the church, and this is something we're going to want to explore a lot more uh, on The Common Good as we talk about just the messiness of life. Hopefully in the future we'll have on uh, some professionals who can speak to this and give good wisdom because it's not just a pastoral issue. It's a, it's an everybody issue, but all right. too often churches will um, kind of hide it and push it down. Uh, and with that in mind, sometimes one of the greatest struggles, quite frankly, oftentimes at this time of year when it's cold and you're kind of staying in your house, is loneliness. Uh, it is this concept of loneliness, and we've shared this statistic before, uh, that over the last 30 years, the people who self-identify as lonely, adults in America who self-identify as lonely, uh, has doubled from 20% to 40%. Wow. Uh, that means that this is an epidemic, and it is yeah. something that is getting uh, worse and worse. And with that in mind, came across an article in The Guardian. You can find this at theguardian.com. Uh, obviously written from a non-Christian perspective, but it's talking about this issue of loneliness. Uh, and this scientist is doing this work. She was doing the work. Her name is Stephanie uh, uh, Cacioppo. And she was doing this work with her husband. Her husband has since died, but she has continued on the work specifically uh, about how to deal with loneliness. And Ian, this is fascinating. What she is trying to do, what her and her husband have been doing, and she is continuing, is research that is beginning to explore whether they can uh, make a pill for loneliness. Mm. Is there a medication that could deal for loneliness? And we have medications for everything, right? I'm I'm certainly not one who's anti-medication. And that would be great if something could come up with. But I think there's a deeper issue here as to why, uh, as a culture, are we increasingly lonely people? Well, I I don't know if it would be great. I think maybe in the short term, it could be useful. Sure. I also have a, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, a healthy suspicion of big pharma and how a lot of this works behind the scenes. If something like this could be created that helps somebody for a season um, to mm. get, you know, maybe over a hurdle or a hump to to a place of health, but like, I feel like we have we medicate everything. We medicate everything, right? And we've created these synthesized environments to try to replace. I think at our core, what we were created for and we are just now beginning to see some of the effects of how that's backfiring like Mm. you know facebook friends we talked about this network this global network we're going to be more connected than ever and then you come across this story where you're like no we're not we're not we on paper this made sense 15 20 years ago that when when the internet was just still sort of a whisper like oh man the possibilities and i think the possibilities in a lot of ways are profound and really useful and really great i'm not knocking social media or technology, any of that. I think all of that stuff is a is a tool, but it does make me wonder when our solution is let's let's create some product to overcome this feeling, rather than looking at the infrastructures that have led us to feel in that way in the first place. Yeah. Um. Which again is a obvi- It's a way bigger conversation. Like this person, I think, is doing um some interesting work. Say, hey, this is my field of expertise. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to try and create something to help people. I I applaud that. Yep. For me as a as a pastor, and I know that you're you know you're wired similarly. Like, I always want to look at the thing behind the thing. Like, okay, all right, maybe for a time that's really useful and helpful. However, 
what are the things, and I think I really do think it's things plural. I don't think there's any sort of um, like even one-stop shop solution. Why is this continuing to grow? Why are people calling this legitimately an epidemic? We're yeah. more connected than ever. We have more access to things um, than ever before. We can have our groceries delivered to our front porch, yep. and we can have Amazon in two days. And like with all of these things that should be making us feel more and more connected to one another, we seem to feel more and more isolated. Why is that? And that to me, that's that's the really fascinating question. Why 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 isn't that getting better? Yeah, and let's have that conversation because I think. Um, like you said, we, we are more connected, right? I know what's going on in the lives of some high school friends that apart from Facebook or Twitter, whatever, I would never know. Um, but I do think that, uh, things like Facebook and other things, um, cause us to be disconnected from people, uh, while thinking that we are connected, Mm -hmm. uh, and that there seems to be this growth of a lot of shallow community, if you will, uh, shallow connections, but uh, a struggle within our culture for deep. Do you think that's a busyness factor? Do you think that is what's that? What do you think is at the heart of that? I think honestly, it's a it's a cart and horse discussion. I think the loneliness drives the busyness, not the other way around. Now, I may disagree with this a day from now, but um, <laughs> at first blush, I I think because we feel increasingly disconnected, uh, and as a result. Often, I think increasingly less successful, right? Mm. So I think that I think those are sort of two sides of the same coin. It drives us to exhaustive behavior, a constant striving to find meaning and identity and purpose in the things I do or can accomplish, or even my my social network or my salary. You know, it it create because I don't really fully rest in who I am and who God created us to be together. The the result, the byproduct of that that frantic. Uh, disassociation for us is like, well, I gotta go. I gotta go do more things. And I, I think some people may be wired more uh, as doers. I think there are other yeah. people, like my wife in particular, is so good at like creating space for rest, for investing in the people closest to her. Like she amazes me how good she is at saying, nope, we're not gonna go do that thing because that isn't of all the things that we have to do. This doesn't. That's not the right thing for us to do right now. She just sees with such clarity. And I'm going to invest in these three people because yeah. they're that's those are my people that they're going to be my lifers. And I'm like, how do you do? How do you have the wisdom to say nope? It, it's not about having some platform or some base or some audience. It's it's about you know meaningful connection at at just like a heart spiritual level. And I think because so many of us don't have that, it drives us to all sorts of other behaviors that we think are going to help it, and they sometimes do the opposite. Mm, absolutely, and. I think this is where the church has a place to step in, although I I fear that our churches aren't stepping in well here. Hmm. Uh, But this is a spot where the church has a place to step in, because I think at at the heart of the church, one of its foundations should be it's a place to know other people and to be known on a deep level, Uh, whether that's in the whole church or in small groups or whatever it is. Uh, Every church hopefully has, has vehicles to help people be known deeply, Uh, And so that would be my one word to people out there who are feeling lonely, like um, get into a church. And I'm not saying every church is going to solve it. You might have to do some work of trying to find a church that works for you. But I don't think like, you know, watching church online and parking your car in your garage and never talking to anybody is going to solve this problem. Right. And so uh, I'm I'm a little I still remain optimistic about the role of the church and what the church can play in this. I'd say get into a church. Uh, and dive in, be known, and know other people. That's right. We we often say that life is lived better in circles than in rows. Mm-hmm. That like what we do on a Sunday, I I love what we do on a Sunday. Yep. But it's 
right? It's the push, not the point. Like ultimately that should lead us to then live this out together. And I think it is the one thing that you can't ultimately fabricate, right? I think we have more and more access to sermons and sermon notes and music and I, you know, can watch. And I love that we have those options. It is, it is such a blessing to be able to watch from Facebook Live from your couch if you're feeling sick or you're out of town. Like, or you had a baby. That. Right. Or <laughs> yes. I had a baby. Take advantage of that totally. But it can't replace like real, you know, Alan Hirsch calls it communitas, like life mm. on life, togetherness heading in the same direction. That I don't think there will ever be a replacement for that. And I think that's that's part of the way forward. Absolutely. And we we long for everybody out there to be known, to know other people, to not suffer from this loneliness. And so sometimes that will take some work. And we encourage you to do that good work. Well, this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, uh, we're going to answer or discuss this question. Is the popularity gospel today's new prosperity gospel? Hmm. Uh, One former Christian artist uh, says yes and says that we've lost this concept of the fear of the Lord. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160 on this cold Tuesday afternoon. Hopefully you're in a warm place by a fire, under a blanket, all that kind of stuff. So (laughs) again, my name is Brian Fromm. I'm a lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Joined again today by Ian Simpkins, uh, teaching pastor at Community Christian Church in Naperville, Illinois. So uh, Ian, it's uh, still all caffeinated up. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I think this is just my, and ready it's to my go. new reality, just to be constantly caffeinated. I made a cup of coffee last night at like 10.30 p.m. I, I was like, I guess this is just, this is how I live now. This is, this is my new reality. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That is good. Uh, so again, Ian is back today. It's his first day back after the birth of their second child. So um, enjoying having him back. And Ian, as we've been going one of the things we do on this show is we like to talk kind of pastorally and uh, open up our own lives and just acknowledge to people life can be messy, yeah. and we want to help you navigate that mess. And with that in mind, came across an article at the Christian Examiner that uh, brings up an interesting concept. We all are familiar with the prosperity gospel, and the prosperity gospel basically says um, – that our greatest um, goal in life and in faith is to have more stuff, that the more faith I have, uh, the greater prosperity I will have, and that it kind of denies suffering in this world, all of these things. And uh, this author kind of says, is the new prosperity gospel something that we can call the popularity gospel? Is that today's Hmm. prosperity gospel? Hmm. Uh, Not that it's like the prosperity gospel, but instead it is something that we all buy into. And so by way of background— I think what it's saying here is, uh, are we as Christians more concerned with our popularity, whether it be on social media, are people liking the things that I do? Are they liking my beliefs? Are they liking you know who I am? And basically, uh, is the driver in my life increasingly popularity, hmm. and what does that do to my faith? So thoughts on popularity gospel, Ian, being the new prosperity gospel. I think it's a really interesting concept. I also think it's fascinating that this story is coming from a guy that fronted a band, right? So like (laughs) either that disqualifies him or uniquely qualifies him to speak to the issue of popularity at all costs. Like I I had a buddy uh, that was a part of a a successful Christian band for a long time and he was touring and by, by most, by most metrics was, was killing it. Like he was, he made it. And um, his wife was about to have their second, 
I think their second kid. And he said, you know what? The, the, it's just not worth it for me. And like he, he stepped, he stepped away, um, move, you know, moved back permanently. Cause he was kind of doing these two week tours all the time. He was just away from the people that like mattered most to him. And he said, the, it's not worth it. The platform, the audience, the stage, the lights, like the luster wears off. And I thought, man, what a unique perspective. And he's now a worship pastor and just a really, a really brilliant one. But I wow. think he brings a unique perspective though, to, you think this popularity is going to bring some kind of satisfaction and for about a half a second, it does, right? It's like, it's how dopamine in a brain works. Like we think that this salary amount will bring us purpose and meaning and rest. We think that this square footage will bring us purpose and meaning and rest and it, and it feels great for about a minute. And then we realize that it can't actually satisfy. I think popularity is the same way. I think it's, it can sort of function like a drug, like, my base. I just need a larger and larger audience or a larger and larger, larger platform. And I, and I realize the irony of like talking about that on a radio show, right? Yes. Like I don't think platform, I don't think those things are bad at all, but this, it's a really fascinating concept because the prosperity thing, uh, I think in a lot of circles, we, we've sort of peeked behind the veil and we've seen like, okay, that, that isn't, that isn't the real gospel, right? This idea of, of you know the lord just raining down 401ks and private jets and you know like that that to us is almost in a lot of circles kind of silly but we've not really addressed the the more subtle enemy of this this popularity temptation this infatuation with like having opportunities even and i think that that can that can really be a danger that if we're overtly or covertly communicating to our churches that like that's the goal the goal is to you know, strive for these platforms, this, this popularity, um, people are going to be sorely disappointed once they reach those metrics and realize, man, that still didn't bring me satisfaction the way that I thought it would, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I've told this before, I'm a card carrying people pleaser. Like it's in my DNA, it's in my nature. And I, you might be thinking it's in everyone's nature, but like, I, I think I uniquely, uh, kind of thrive off of that, which again, mm-hmm. makes it dangerous to have both a radio show and then a platform on Sunday mornings to preach from, you know, <laughs> right. people pleasers should have microphones all the time. That's right. probably, um, hard. Uh, but I get this in my own life, like that feel of, Oh, people like me. Like I've talked to you before about getting off the stage after a sermon and just to be bluntly honest, more concerned with the guy saying, Hey, you were great today. Hmm. than the guy saying, Hey, uh, you really, um, God really spoke to me today. Like, no, I yeah, spoke right. to you. No, no, I right. spoke to you. <laughs> and, right. Uh, <laughs> I put in the work. <laughs> and I remember there was this guy who, bless his heart, right? Every time I'd come off the stage, he'd fist pump me. Like, kind of, mm. like, it was like his way of saying, good job, good job. And then there's been a couple times he hasn't. Maybe he's just picking something up off the ground or this, but man, I'm like, did I, was I not good today? What happened? Yeah. Where's my fist bump? And, it, you know, it's kind of like Pavlov's dog. Like, yeah, uh, no but, kidding. But make me tell me I'm good enough. Tell me I'm smart enough. Tell me I'm okay. And uh, it all goes back, uh, you know, eventually to our questions of identity and what makes us who we are. But I totally get this. I get this uh, danger of wanting to be popular. You know, a, kind of a stream of this. I'm I'm uh, curious uh, if anyone knows the church Ian's at. Big church, kind of cutting edge. You guys are doing some cool things. Um, I guess the question I want to ask you is where in your conversations at your church, do you guys talk about like not being popular, but like connecting to culture versus like hmm. we're going to stand against or whatever. I'm, I'm asking the question poorly, but I'm thinking about this on kind of a church level and how yeah. someone like at your church would deal with this, man. That, that uh, That's a great question. There's a, there's a couple of things that I think our church, and it's, uh, it's not a perfect church, but we, uh, there's a couple of things that, 
the church, the leadership, Dave and John uh, have set in motion, I think, from the beginning that have really kind of helped counteract some of that. Yeah. Um, you know, as we've mentioned, we're a multi-site church, but each uh, location throughout Chicagoland has an in-person communicator. So it's not just this one celebrity face that you see every weekend. Yep. Um, there, There is an incredible humility. All of our sermons are written collaboratively. That's great. So a lot of times the people writing aren't preaching or preaching aren't writing, and that that really does create this very unique sort of, we're better together. We're always saying we're better together as a way of sort of pushing against, oh, it's all about this one charismatic voice or this one really gifted communicator or writer. Like people bring such unique giftedness and perspective. And because we write collaboratively, we have men and women of all colors, shapes, and sizes weighing in and bringing unique perspective. They have different passions and like, it's like playing in a band. You know, I'm a, I'm a drummer. Mm. And what we, we often used to say is that if, you know, if there's five people in this band, if we're all playing at 100%, it's just a wall of noise. Yeah. Being in a band requires that you understand like, hey, now is his time to shine and now her time to shine. And it's, it's, it's knowing, it's having the wherewithal to pay attention to the ebbs and flows of, of this composition. And I think church life is the same way, you know, that like, okay, right now, I remember somebody um, coming up to me after a talk, you know, when I first started and, and being really complimentary. And the guy that wrote the talk was standing right next to me oh. and, and, and he didn't say a word. Like it was amazing yeah. to watch him just sort of like stand silent. And I, you know, I of course said, Hey, the person you need to be thinking is this guy right here. Like yeah. He's the brains behind that talk. But like to even see how okay he was with not like, Hey, that was me. I, yeah, that you should was- be praising me. <laughs> I was like so impressed by his humility and I think uh, our church in a lot of ways sort of models that in some pretty beautiful ways. That's awesome. I've always had respect for your church, so I wanted to hear how it is on the inner inner workings. Uh, but for us as individuals, friends, uh, this whole issue of people-pleasing and wanting to be popular all the time as, as the pinnacle is hard. It's a dangerous one, and ultimately it's rooted in who we are in Christ, that in yeah. Christ we're called child of God, and nothing yeah. can get above that, nothing can trump that. Uh, we hope you're able to live out of that identity. Well, coming back uh, on The Common Good, we always like to end each show with just some fun and some laughs, some crazy things we found on the Internet. So that's coming <laughs> up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Well, welcome back to The Common Good, our, our own little Twilight Zone. So. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Happy Tuesday. I hope you're having a great day, uh, brave in the cold. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined again by Ian Simpkins. And uh, Ian, you've been out for a week, so you have probably just been collecting crazy things from the internet. Uh, (laughs) I've just been, I've been living my own craziness. I don't need to collect stories. While your wife was in labor, you're like, wait, I found a great link. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. I found one. I'll be right there, sweetie. Yes. And so what we always do on this show as we are ending it, we like to just kind of go a little more lighthearted. I mean, we've talked about some heavy stuff today, uh, but we like to go a little more lighthearted and just find some just as we told them, crazy things we found on the internet. So if you ever have ones you want to share, you could do that on Facebook.com at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. So the first one I'm going to start is out of Georgia. Okay. Georgia, close to Florida. We're close. <laughs> Poor Florida. Are you? Uh, I had somebody in there uh, guest hosting the other day. I think it was when Sky Jatani was here. Uh, by the way, Ian, and he said, are most of these out of Florida? I said, absolutely, before he even <laughs> looked at it. It's, that makes me so happy that he picked up on that so quickly. Yes, yes. And so uh, 
Headline reads, family desperate to recover $6,500 stashed in mug, mistakenly (laughs) donated to Goodwill. Oh, no. Uh, So thanks to the new best-selling book, people across the country, you're familiar with this, are tidying up, right? Like, this is a big deal now. So people are going through their stuff, taking it to Goodwill, living on less. Well, apparently... um, a boy, by, a man by the name of 27-year-old guy named Devin Sylvie, he recently donated, uh, he recently sold his car for $6,500, and he took the cash and he stashed it uh, into a uh, kind of like a Contigo bottle, right? So like a right. coffee mug, but one with a top on it. Little did he know his mom was getting ready to tidy up around the house, <laughs> and she collected that souvenir and took it to the Goodwill store, uh, and with it, $6,500 in the yellow metal travel mug with a Mickey Mouse sticker on it. So now they are going to the press. He, she said, I feel like the worst mom in the world. I feel terrible. And they are hoping that whoever bought that mug is going to return the $6,500. Here we go. Truth serum. Would you return the $6,500? Oh, I would have to. That would that would eat at my conscience. I'm telling you, man. I wish. <laughs> it's just true. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I kept it. But I think this mom needs to man, I hope I hope this message gets to her. That's not your fault. That's first off, what is he doing buying a car with cash? That's that's already shady. Yeah. Second, putting the cash in a in what was it, a, a cup, a thermos? Uh like that to me, that I don't know. She she needs to let herself off the hook. That that is not her fault at all. I'm gonna unapologetically say I'd probably keep the cash and I'd go with the old phrase finders, keepers, losers, well, you, weepers. You would? I think was so. That, is that from Matthew 5? Is that where that verse comes from? <laughs> the, All right, here's, they need here's to learn my, the lesson. They need to learn the lesson. Oh, gosh. What, what, a, what a dad. Thank you. Okay, so here's, uh, here's the head. I love, I love this story. It says, woman reunited with a message in a bottle that she tossed oh. into the sea years ago. It was 17 years ago. No um, way. Yeah, yeah. Emily Edwards, uh, 25, said that she was seven years old vacationing in Wales when she wrote this note. And um, so this runner named Sam Hammond found it last week, uh, almost 60 miles away from where uh, she dropped it off into this tiny, this tiny mini blue, according to the, according to the BBC. So um, like recognize it and, and like tracked her down and she was reunited with this message that she wrote as a, as a seven year old vacationing in Wales. I think that is That's a cool. fascinating story. That also feels like a movie my wife would like to watch. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to lie. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> That's good. That's a heartwarming story. That's good. Uh, Tennessee. Couple caught on camera stealing more than 300 ink cartridges from, from Walmart. Oh, boy. So the police are investigating the most expensive shoplifting case in recent memory from the store with more than $11,000 worth of ink cartridges that were stolen. Police say the couple placed 332 ink cartridges in a stolen tote bag. They also stole the bag uh, in their shopping cart and rolled right through the emergency exit without the alarm going off. Luckily, they were caught by the getaway car. Surveillance fake cameras caught them. Um, For now, though, investigators are trying to figure out what they did or why they were doing it. The department plans on warning other cities. They think that they might have been doing it, A, to sell them on the I don't know. Is there an ink cartridge black market? I don't know. (laughs) To resell the ink cartridges. But another theory is that they were stealing them to counterfeit money. To make money. So anyway, uh, if you're looking for ink cartridges in the uh, Shelbyville Walmart, you were out of luck the other day in Tennessee. (laughs) What a random, what a random theft. Uh, Whatever. Okay. So this one, uh, 
This actually sort of points back to something we were talking about earlier. The headline reads, Pray with the Pope from your iPhone. Awesome. So click to pray are not words you'd expect to come out of the Pope's mouth, but that's what onlookers heard during the traditional Sunday address from Pope Francis as he introduced Click to Pray, an app for communal prayer aimed at young people. Which, to be honest, uh, in one sense, I sort of admire. Like, okay, they're, I, the Catholic Church is, is trying to think um, proactively about how to how to engage young people, they're the click to pray thing. Maybe that's more of just a branding thing. Like that just doesn't. Maybe I'm just getting old. Like that just doesn't <laughs> sit. That just doesn't sit well with me at all. Like I'm there's a, there's layers that just feel kind of kind of strange. Yep, yep. I'm with you. Uh, Georgia, a man drives stolen car to jail to bond out girlfriend who was arrested for driving a stolen car. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's funny. That's funny. It's, it's so like they've, the movie got, Inception. they've got in, they've got excuses in here, but basically it's, it appears this couple stole multiple cars. The, the girlfriend was arrested for one, and then the boyfriend was arrested for driving another one there. So one wow. more. Give me your best shot here. All right. This one comes from uh, uh, MSN.com. The headline says it all. Three-year-old boy who went missing in the woods for two days says a bear looked after him. Oh. I mean, is it all? It's got a, a picture of a bear, and I, I guess I didn't realize to this moment how terrifying bears are. <laughs> like, yes. what a he a three year old boy told the family and rescuers that he quote hung out with a bear for two days after getting lost in the woods in North Carolina. And I think his his name here says is is Baloo. Oh, this is about the Jungle Book. That's what this is. <laughs> this is written from Mowgli's perspective. I just think, uh, well played. You were just, you've been you've had that in the, on the shelf for four days now. <laughs> That's as good as it gets for me, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've obviously it would be terrifying for the parents if missing your kid for that long. But afterwards, knowing a uh, bear stuck up, you know, watched them. I guess I, that would make me more scared. I'd almost rather not know that as a parent. Like, Probably. what do you mean you hung out with a bear? That to me is so crazy on so many levels. Maybe if you're a bear expert and you understand like wh- how this is even possible, do bears just sense a, the child's innocence and so? Didn't see him as a threat. I don't know, but that—that's. I can't believe how calm this kid appears to be about this whole story. There's a biblical joke here about bearing one another's burdens, but I'm not oh going to go there. Gosh. I'm not going to do it. Oh, one thanks, more. Thanks for sparing us. One, one more from New Jersey before we close out the show today. Police rescue New Jersey toddler stuck inside a toy. You would think that this is going to be a picture like he was. It was dangerous, and he was stuck in some huge toy. No, it almost looks like a box. It's almost like a jack in the box or somewhere where. They would keep like uh, blocks, and you've got to you've got to um, you got to Google this. A uh, police rescuing a New Jersey toddler stuck in a toy because he's just sitting in it, and he looks so distraught, like just oh. so like <laughs> brokenhearted. And then there's another picture of him being happy after having been extracted from it. So mm. there's something about life in that one. Well, Ian, it's I'm great sure. to have you back, my friend. Thanks, man. Let's do it again tomorrow. How's that sound? Sounds great. Hey, uh, Chicago Land. We hope you have a great Tuesday. It's cold out there. Stay warm, but most of all. Uh, We hope you join us again tomorrow. I'm Brian Fromm along with Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.